go to page. Well, I don't know this. This yeah, go to go to page fourteen in the book of Bosak. Okay, page fourteen. Yes, I'm going to read it. It's called the acknowledgement. I'm going to start, and then I'll pass it off to you. Okay. You can start the recording now. Okay. It's it's going. It looks like the Sheikh has left the the call. Assalamualaikum, Tyler Boyd. Waalaikum salam, I'm sorry, I, I must have hit the button and knocked this out the classroom. Okay, Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. We are now going over the book of business transactions. We're starting again from the entire section because in our studies we did not appropriately or properly go over the section of business transactions. Okay? I chose to start with the whole chapter because in the way we're going to go through it, again, being thorough, we have two books that we're going to use and actually three books that we're going to use in doing it. One of them, and we're not going to use a concise book of presentation of fiqh at all. We're going to use the summary by Sheikh Falzan, and we're using Bidayat al-Mujtahid by Ibn Rushd, which is a classical explanation of the subject. We begin, Bismillahirrahmanirrahim, business transactions, which is the second section out of the Four sections of fiqh. Fiqh is divided in four major parts. The second portion is at business transactions, right capital risk in the fiqh of the slave as he trades to exist. The fiqh of finance is a loftier term for the money we borrow, struggle to earn. Contracts and sharing if profits are made and the techniques to use in the practice of trade. Now, buying is bad in the general sense, but it's contracts and deeds that make this and deals that make businessmen tense. No shady cat or partnerships that we can use when seeking risk. And when someone won't pay their debt, then Hajj is what will implement. The idea is a borrowed source, while gossip is to take by force. By its agreement, slaves are freed and will get blessings for good deeds. Alcoff are called the public gifts, endowments and or scholarships. With sire are the wills we leave, the ones we love, our legacies. Ra it makes inheritance the last show of beneficence. So those with taqwa seek to deal in only con men, cheap and steal. So we'll start here with this. And this is the second largest chapter out of the four chapters. They they, they go in order. First, family family law is going to have the most laws and then business and these are two mundane things these are not you know ibadat okay this shows you these are the things that we are mostly doing in life so we need to know the laws regarding them so we can do them with justice bismillahirrahmanirrahim we're doing a summary of islamic jurisprudence regarding these matters by sheikh fauzan and sheikh fauzan is a famous sheikh in our modern times and the go-to sheikh for the Saudi Arabian government in our day. In this acknowledgement, it starts off by saying, All praise and thanks are due to Allah, our Lord, who facilitated translating and completing this invaluable work. In the course of translating this invaluable book into English, we find ourselves indebted to more people than we can possibly nominate here. Without their help, this book would have never come to light. At the outset, we deeply appreciate and thank Professor Sheikh Saleh Fauzan for giving us exclusive permission to translate and publish his books, as well as his follow-up with the different stages of publishing the book. May Allah guide him, give him his success 
in this worldly life and in the hereafter. We are pleased to have the opportunity to express our gratitude and profound thanks to Dr. Mohammed Mahmoud Ghali, Professor of Linguistics and the ex-dean of, of, of Faculty of Languages and Translation of Al-Azhar University for the great help and moral support he rendered us when we started the, proce the process of translation. We would also like to extend our gratitude and deep appreciation to Dr. Muhammad, Muhammad Abu Layla, Professor of Islamic Studies in English and Head of the English Department, Faculty of Languages and Translation, for his penetrating advice and inspiration throughout the process of translation. Moreover, we are beholden to heartily thank Dr. Ahmed Zaki Hamad, Professor of Islamic Studies in English, Faculty of Languages and Translation for providing us with invaluable suggestions and important insights on translation. In addition, we extend our thanks to Dr. Muhammad Yahya, Professor of Literary Criticism at Faculty of Arts, Cairo University, for his editorial assistance. Thanks, editorial assistance. Thanks are also due to Dr. Atiyah Sayyid Atiyah, Lecturer in ELT and Applied Linguistics, Faculty of Education, Azhar University for his, for having professionally edited his works and others. His pertinent comments and valuable touches at the final stage of writing the book added much to the final version of the book. Finally, yet importantly, we thank Um Abdullah, the native editor who exerted great efforts in editing the book and with whose final touches she made it more appealing to the target audience, the publisher, Dr. Suleiman Al-Alamin. The Translator's Preface. This book is an English translation of Sheikh Professor Saleh Fawzan's Al-Mulakhis Al-Fiqhi, a summary of Islamic Jurisprudence, Dr. Al-Asima, and he gives the year 2001, ISBN. Our aim, our main aim in providing the English translation is propagating the true da'wah that derives from Allah's book and his messenger, Sunnah. This is a duty that every Muslim should cherish. Allah says what it could mean, and let there arise, that there be arising from you a nation inviting to all that is good enjoining what is right and forbidding what is wrong, and those who will be successful. Ali Imran. With this in mind, this translated work is then a humble response to our realization of a great responsibility to give the English-speaking reader access to rich Islamic jurisprudence literature that simply focuses on the rules of jurisprudence and their proofs from the Qur'an, Sunnah, and the practice of the righteous Salaf, in addition to the opinions of the scholars of jurisprudence on controversial issues, as well as the proofs they quote in support of their opinions. In doing so, we have left no stone unturned to make sure that the final copy of a translated book meets a specific high-quality standard that would convey the same meaning intended by the author and expressed in the original source text. In effect, we have tried to set a balance between the originality of thought and the nature of the style of language. To attain this, our work in this book and others exhibits certain distinctive features, namely the process of translation, the style, the attention paid to the sociolinguistic aspects, meaning the transliteration, glossary, and endnotes. We touch upon these features in the following section, process. Number one, before reaching the publisher, our work goes through a developmental process to guarantee that the final version of the translated book is, a, is as perfect as can be. In effect, this process commences with the first-hand translation, which is done by some very carefully chosen translators who are native speakers of Arabic and have a native-like command of the target language. The main principle that governs the translation process is that the translator is after integrity. 
With integrity as the main target, the translators would not be tempted to impose their own ideas on the text, nor would they gloss over the difficult paragraphs instead of taking the trouble to find out what is really meant. Translators would do their best to convey both the concept and spirit of the work. The next step of the process is undertaken by a reviser who has a high profile in translating religious texts and is aware of the traps that one might fall into. In addition, he has a thorough religious background knowledge that enables him to detect an unintended error in conveying the meaning. The revised version is then submitted to a picky editor who was well-versed in the target language and has substantial knowledge of Islamic studies. Finally, the edited version is handed over to a native speaker of English who is knowledgeable in Islamic sciences to make sure that the translation is readable and meaningful to the target audience. Number two, style. A natural outgrowth of the process adopted in translation is the style the the final version has come out of has come out in. The intended meaning of the author has been conveyed in a style that is authentic and as close to the original as possible. It really sounds authentic. So natural that the work, so natural that the work does not read like a translation, but an indigenous piece of writing. The translation version is marked by remarkable variety and richness as well as tremendous skill at writing within formal religious genre. Moreover, attempts have been made to have it simple, clear, and appealing to the target audience. Number three, attention to sociolinguistic aspects. As a way to fill up the gap caused by sociolinguistic differences between the two languages, in parentheses, not parentheses, in parentheses, source language and target language. Our work includes some additional features, i.e. transliteration, glossary, and endnotes that would guarantee better understanding of the concepts and ideas that might confuse the English-speaking reader due to the lack of schemata in this field. A, transliteration system. In the process of translation, we have made a serious attempt to limit the use of transliterated Arabic terms. See table 10. I'm going to see the table in page 10. Uh, To the following two situations, there is no English expression that can reflect the same meaning as the original term. The Arabic term is is of such importance that it is essential to familiarize the reader with it. As for me, I say, this is your teacher saying, I do not translate Islamic terms and then run with the, the, the translation. What I like to do is to explain the Islamic term and keep the Islamic term. We, we, our intention with translations is not to develop a new set of terms for Islamic terms in another language. The terms that we have in Islam, in my opinion, are sacred. And we do not need to translate them just like we don't translate the word Islam. We may define it, but we use the term Islam. And we don't translate the term Muslim and use that. We may define it, but we use the term Muslim. So remember that whenever reading these translations, do not fall into the concept of that you have to put an English word for every term that we have in Arabic. You do not. And many of the times, if not all of them, you will never find a one-on-one translation for the Islamic term. The Islamic term is much more comprehensive. Anyway, back to the reading. B, glossary. At the end of the book, we have included a glossary defining common Arabic terms that fulfill the above criteria. Included in the glossary are also are also terms that need further explanation. Another issue I say here is that they constantly refer to them as Arabic terms. And I notice this is a concept that is always pushed by mustashriqeen, masons, as opposed to calling them Islamic terms. Okay. They call it as though it's an ethnic or, um, you know, some type of ethnic term. It's an Arabic term. No. 
Arabic is the language of Islam. So the term is an Islamic term. C, end notes. In the end notes, we have given clear and concise explanations of, of the terms that are not clear or understandable to the target reader due to the social linguistic differences in addition to the commentaries written by the author himself. Furthermore, each hadith mentioned in the text of this book is ascribed to in the end notes to the book it is quoted from. D. Indices. To facilitate the process of going through the book and save the reader's time, we have included two indices, namely subject index and name index. So if the reader is looking for specific, for specific information or a given name, he or she would go directly to the index and find the page. Quran translation, the Quran's, uh, I'm sorry, for Quran translation. I say, I'm interrupting here again. If you see the way that they translate, they write the word Quran. Okay, this is again another sign of masonry. Where they put, instead of spelling the word out with saying Quran, they use a font that is not on the computer. A font that it, most readers would not understand. So they put this funny uh, uh, tilde over the A as opposed to writing Quran. They use an I to represent the E sound when most Americans won't do that. Okay, won't, won't remember that or look at that. And nor do people in Britain. It is a erudite font that is intended to only be understood by a certain type of people. And for this reason, this is one of the reasons why our terms are mispronounced so quickly because of the use of this type of font. I personally always use the fonts that have the term clearly pronounced phonetically when you read it. So Quran translation as opposed to Quran or Quran like that. The Quran is Allah's exact words. These words can never be trans be exactly translated into other languages because of, among other things, possible misinterpretations and limited human understanding. What is followed in the book is to translate the meanings as understood by Muslim scholars. We solely depend upon the translation of the meaning of the Quran translated by Sahih International, Riyadh and published by Abu Qasim Publishing House. When an ayah makes another sign of mustashriqeen, uh, and the mustashriqeen are what we call modern-day bataniya. Modern-day bataniya the Bataniya was a group of people who pretended to be Muslims. They entered into Islam and in subtle ways they perverted Islam. And they call themselves Al-Bataniya. One of the things that they do nowadays, instead of calling the ayat of Allah ayat, they call them verses. These are, these are all signs that you see in the writing here. And you should, as a reader, get accustomed to, if you're ever going to read translations, knowing the writing style of Mustashriqeen. Okay? Uh, and this is why it's very important that the native learn the language so that he can translate the works himself. What we notice a lot from immigrant population, learning English and then translating works from Arabic to English is a sense of inferiority in mentality. Where they see this huge... Uh, desire to mimic everything and put it as much as they can in English using the terms that they've seen the Masonic order use before, even if they're not Masons, thinking that there is some sense of academic superiority in doing so. And so we have to be very careful from these people because they have a real big sense of inferiority. When an ayah is cited, the English interpretation is given between the quotation marks in indented, bold, and italicized format. The location of the Quranic ayah, the name of the surah, is given below to the ayah as it is illustrated in the example below. It says, and we sent not, quote, and we sent not, and we sent not before you any messenger except that we revealed to him that there is no deity except me, so worship me. Al-Anbiya. Al-Anbiya. And, okay, alhamdulillah, hadith translation. Similarly, when we cite 
a hadith. We mentioned the book of hadith. It is quoted from in addition to its number in the book. Furthermore, the translation of the prophetic hadith is, is represented in an indented format, italicized, and between quotation marks. As it is illustrated in the example below, quote, do not drink in gold or silver vessels, nor eat in similar bowls, i.e. bowls made of gold and silver, for they belong to them, a, the disbelievers, in this world and to us in the hereafter, end quote. Okay, so now we're in part two, the introduction. Go ahead, Tyler Boyd, read the introduction. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. All praises to Allah, the Lord of the worlds, and peace be upon our Prophet Muhammad, the seal of the seal of prophets, and upon his household, his companions, and whoever follows their example with good conduct until the day of recompense. To commence, this is a brief account of juristic issues in which views are provided with proofs from the Sunnah, prophetic tradition, and the Qur'an. I have previously delivered the content of this book in the form of sermons broadcast on radio, and I have been repeatedly asked by the audience to re-deliver them and to publish them as a treatise for the sake of continuous benefit, if Allah wills. In fact, I never intended this book to be published when it was under preparation, but in response to the wish of many people, I reviewed it, arranged its contents, and presented it to be published. And here it is now, gentle reader, between your hands. Whatever correctness and benefit you find therein are out of the grace of Allah alone. And whatever mistakes you find are mine, and I seek the forgiveness of Allah for them. This treatise is an abstract of a book entitled including its footnotes written by Sheikh Abdul Rahman Ibn Muhammad Ibn Qasim may Allah have mercy on him bearing in mind that I added some remarks when necessary I ask Allah glorified and exalted be he to guide us all to useful knowledge and righteous deeds may Allah confer peace and blessings upon our Prophet Muhammad his household, and his companions. Okay, pause for one second. So now, in this particular book that he mentions, this is a particular madhab book. It's a book of be explaining the fiqh according to the madhab of Imam Ahmed ibn Hanbal. So what's important for you to understand just this, just that. This is a Hanbali text that he is explaining. Prior to all that we was reading, we were reading from Abdul Adin Badawi's book, Al Wajiz. And Abdul Adin Badawi is the go to Sheikh or Shafi'i fiqh. So everything you were reading from that had the scent of the Shafi'i fiqh on it. Bidayatul Mujtahid and the classic that we'll do afterwards, Ar-Risala, is, are both Maliki fiqh books. Okay? And this is important for the Western to understand that he has a wider uh, acceptance and experience in different madahib. Okay? Exposure, I should say. There will be subtle differences, but for the most part, they, they cover the, the the material in the same fashion, which is subtle differences in Alano's best. Go ahead. The virtues of understanding the deed, religion. All praise be to Allah, Lord of the worlds, and peace be upon our Prophet Muhammad and upon his household, his companions, and whoever follows their example with good conduct until the day of recompense. To commence, understanding the religion is considered one of the best deeds and a sign of goodness. The Prophet ﷺ says, If Allah wants to do good for a person, He makes him understand the religion. This is because comprehending the religion leads to useful knowledge upon which righteous deeds depend. Allah, exalted be He, says, what translated means, 
It is he who has sent his messenger with guidance and the religion of truth. Quran, Surah Al-Fatih, Ayah 28. Guidance here refers to useful knowledge, and the religion of truth is that which leads to righteous deeds. Besides, Allah commanded the Prophet ﷺ to invoke him for more knowledge. Allah, exalted be he, said, what translated means, and say, My Lord, increase me in knowledge. Quran, Surah Taha, Ayah 114. Al-Hafiz ibn Hajar comments that the aforesaid Quran verse, and say, My Lord, increase me in knowledge, is a clear indication of the merit and excellence of knowledge, for Allah never commanded his prophet, وسلم, to invoke him for more of anything except knowledge. The prophet, وسلم, used to refer to the assemblies wherein useful knowledge is taught as the gardens of paradise. And he, وسلم, stated that men of knowledge are the inheritors of prophets. There is no doubt that before one starts doing something, one should know how to perform it in the best way, so as to perform it well to harvest its desired fruits. Likewise, it is by no means reasonable that one starts worshipping one's Lord, the way through which one's salvation from hellfire and admittance to paradise are gained, without having due knowledge. As such, people are divided into three categories regarding knowledge and deeds. The first category is represented in those who combine useful knowledge along with righteous deeds. Those are the ones whom Allah has guided to the straight path, the path of those upon whom Allah has bestowed favor of the prophets, the steadfast affirmers of the truth, the martyrs and the righteous, and excellent indeed are those as companions. The second category is represented in those who learn useful knowledge, but do not act accordingly. Those are the ones who have evoked Allah's anger, like the Jews and whoever follows their footsteps. The third category is represented in those who act without having knowledge. Those are the ones who are astray, namely the Christians and their likes. These three categories are mentioned in the Surah of Al-Fatiha, the opening chapter of the Qur'an which we recite in every rakah, unit of prayer, of our prayers. Guide us to the straight path. The path. Okay, one second, please, please. The word is rak'ah. Okay, so this, the way this word, I would spell it, would, I would put a dash there before the, 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 the apostrophe to understand that there's a stop on that letter. Rak'ah. Not raka, okay? The K doesn't have any, the consonant doesn't have any vowel, okay? Go ahead. Please recite that again, please. These three categories. These three categories are mentioned in the Surah of Al-Fatiha, the opening chapter of the Quran, in which we recite, which we recite in every raka, unit of prayer, of our prayers. Guide us to the straight path, the path of those upon whom you have bestowed favor, not of those who you have who have evoked your anger, or of those who are astray. Quran Surah Al-Fatiha, Ayats six and seven. In his interpretation of the aforesaid verses of the Surah of Al-Fatiha, Sheikh Muhammad Ibn Abdul Wahab. Okay, one second. Whenever you see this term for verses mentioned for the ayat in the Quran, I'd like you to use the word ayat instead. Okay? Go ahead. Bismillah. In his interpretation of the aforesaid ayat of the Surah of Al-Fatiha, Sheikh Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab, may Allah have mercy on him, has stated, The scholars meant in the ayat that reads, Those who have evoked Allah's anger are those who do not act in accordance with their knowledge. And those who are astray are the ones who act without knowledge. The former is the quality of the Jews, while the latter is the, that of the Christians. Some ignorant people mistakenly believe that those two qualities are restricted to the Jews and the Christians, forgetting that Allah has commanded them to recite the above-mentioned Quranic invocation, seeking refuge with him from being one of the people of these two qualities, 
Glory be to Allah. How do these ignorant people think that they are safe from these qualities, though they are taught and commanded by Allah to keep on invoking him through the aforesaid ayat, seeking his refuge against them? Are they not aware that they thus assume evil about Allah? Okay, so this is a very important uh, explanation here that we sometimes we, 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 uh, we talk about it, but people seem to not understand this. When Allah says, when Allah's messenger mentions that, you know, are the Christians and Maghdubi alayhim, oh, they are the Jews and these other type of statements. People think and they laugh and they say, yeah, those damn Jews, those damn Christians. And they don't realize, like he said, no, the, it's, no one ever restricted, restricted this or said it is only them. He mentions the Jews and the Christians as an example, as like a blatant example of these things, the epitome of the example that you can look at to see the quality. But in reality, you normally do not see anywhere in the Quran the name of a person, you know, normally that did this or did that. They might be in the tafsir and the, the proof of an example of a person who did this and did that. But outside of Abu Lahab, you know, even when Fir'aun is mentioned, it doesn't mention his name. Okay, so the point is, in by describing the action, you can now use that description blanketly. You can use it on everyone. But whenever you mention a name, it's as if now that's the only person that you were referring to. And the mind relaxes thinking, OK, it's that person or it's Abu Tawbah. But describe it. Now, the description sticks to anyone who acts in that particular way. And it's one of the beautiful things about when Allah describes the unafiqun so many times, the aspects of nifaq. So much so that the Sahaba was concerned that they might have been them because the descriptions could fit them. And Allah knows best. So this, I'm so very happy that he explains this portion here for us to reflect upon that, you know, every day we're told to recite the same surah. And those parts are sent for us to seek refuge in Allah from those qualities. Alhamdulillah. Okay, go ahead. Show this shows the wisdom. Continue. <clears throat> this shows the wisdom behind the obligation of reciting this great surah al Fatiha in every rakaah of our prayers, whether obligatory or supererogatory. It is because this surah contains many great secrets. Among them is the great. Quranic invocation that reads, guide us to the straight path, the path of those upon whom you have bestowed favor, not of those who have evoked your anger or of those who are astray. Quran, Suratul Fatiha, Ayat 6 and 7. Through this invocation, we ask Allah to guide us to follow the conduct and the way of the people who have useful knowledge and perform righteous deeds, which is the way to salvation in both this world and in the hereafter. We also invoke him to safeguard us from the pathway of the ones astray, who have neglected either the righteous deeds or the useful knowledge. Thus, we could argue that useful knowledge is that derived from the Quran and the Sunnah, prophetic tradition. It is gained by means of deep understanding and comprehension of both, which can be achieved through the help of religious instructors or scholars. This can also be achieved through the books of exegesis of the Quran and those of Hadith, as well as the books of jurisprudence and those of Arabic grammar, the language in which the okay, Quran... Okay, so, so I like to stop again. See, this is, again, some of the things that I, that I have to be careful for is that sometimes these Mustashnikin scholars like to use these terms that the normal reader amongst the so-called target audience is unable to understand, okay, and is not familiar with. Maybe they're thinking very good of us American people, but the average American English reader doesn't know what exegesis is, you know, or uh, some of these uh, other highfalutin usages. As a term, as a rule, you students should know, try to use the simplest language possible when writing. 
Remember, you're not writing for the scholars. You're writing for the layman. Okay? And it's writing in a way that only a scientist can understand and appreciate will not benefit the general masses of the people. And in teaching, you always want to do where there's meaning that the, the, the comprehensiveness of the baraka, it would carry over to more people than just few people. Right now, if I just started to teach a class and started speaking in Arabic, you know, yeah, that would sound great. Oh, here is this American kid, you know, grew up and now he's speaking Arabic and doing his class in Arabic. But how many people from amongst my people can benefit from that? Not many. Okay? So there's no real benefit now. Or if I kept started teaching course in the ten kiraat. Oh wow, that shows a lot of knowledge. You're just doing ten kiraat. Just all ten. You know? But the majority of the people in the American people cannot and are not at the level to start studying that particular science all at one. So even in that we have to break it down. I'm mentioning this because I don't want us I want us to learn what is the correct way to present this knowledge in English and the incorrect way of pre- presenting this in knowledge along with the goodness of the book, okay? So when most Americans, Muslims, if you say the word tafsir, they will understand that, the books of tafsir. But if you say exegesis or whatever, they do not understand that term, okay? So go ahead and continue. Start again with this can also be achieved through the books of... Go ahead. This can also be achieved through the books of tafsir of the Quran, and those of Hadith, as well as the books of Fiqh and those of Arabic grammar, the language in which the Qur'an has been revealed. Such books are the best means of comprehending the Qur'an and the Sunnah. So as to perform the acts of worship so perfectly, you should, dear Muslim brother, learn what leads to the perfection of your performance of these various acts of worship, such as prayer, fasting, and hajj, pilgrimage. You should also be aware of the rulings on zakah, as well as the rulings on dealings, on the dealings that concern you, so as to make use of what Allah has made lawful for you and avoid what he has made unlawful. You should observe this to ensure that the money you earn and the food you eat are lawfully obtained, in order to be one of those whose supplications are granted by Allah. In fact, you should have to know about all in fact, you have to know about all these matters, and this could easily this could be easily achieved, Allah willing, provided that you have resolute determination and sincere intention. So be keen on reading useful, relevant books, and keep in touch with religious scholars to ask them about whatever ruling you are in doubt about, and to be acquainted with the rulings of your religion. In addition, you should take an interest in attending religious symposiums and lectures delivered at mosques and the like listening to the broadcast religious programs, and reading religious magazines and publications. If you concern yourself with such good activities, your religious knowledge will increase and your insight will be enlightened. Also, do not forget, dear brother, that knowledge increases and grows when it is practically applied. Thus, if your deeds are according to your knowledge, Allah will surely increase your knowledge. This corresponds with the maxim stating, he whose deeds are done in accordance with his knowledge, Allah will bestow upon him the knowledge of that which he has no knowledge about. This is confirmed by the glorious Quranic ayah that reads, as translated, And fear Allah, and Allah teaches you, and Allah is knowing of all things. Quran Surah Al-Baqarah, ayah 282. In fact, the worthiest thing to spend your time on is seeking knowledge which the people of good judgment compete. It is through knowledge that hearts maintain living and deeds are purified. Allah, exalted be his words and glorified be his attributes, praises the scholars who act in accordance with their knowledge and states their elevated degrees. As he mentioned in his glorious book, the Quran, as translated, say, are those who know equal to those who do not know? Only they will remember who are people of understanding. Quran Surah Zumar, Ayah 9. Allah exalted be He also says, as translated, 
Allah will raise those who have believed among you and those who were given knowledge by degrees. And Allah is acquainted with what you do. Quran Surah Al-Mujadila, Ayah number 11. So Allah, glorified and exalted be He, shows the merit of those given knowledge along with faith and tells us that He is acquainted with and aware of what we do. Thus Allah shows us the necessity of combining both knowledge and righteous deeds and tells us that both have to be out of one's sincere faith and fear of Him, glorified be He. In accordance with the Quranic duty of cooperating in righteousness and piety, we will, if Allah wills, provide you, gentle reader, through this book with some information of the juristic inheritance which our scholars extracted and wrote down in their books. We will provide you with what can be easily understood so that it can benefit you and help you in gaining more useful knowledge. Finally, we invoke Allah to bestow useful knowledge upon all of us and to guide us to the righteous deeds. We also invoke him, glorified and exalted be he, to make us see the truth as it really is and guide us to follow it and to see falsehood as it really is and grant us the ability to avoid it. He is hearing and responsive. Unit 1, Trade Transactions. Chapter 1. I'm sorry. I, I, I was talking and I had, I, I had uh, my, my, my thing was muted. Look at the end notes here. The end notes, it just shows again that, you know, he quoted from Bukhari and Muslim Surah, and he says here, Fatuh al-Bari, Fatuh al-Bari is an explanation, a book explaining uh, the Hadith of Sahih al-Bukhari, Ibn Ghanam's Tariq al-Najd is the history of the Riyadh area, and it's mentioning Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahab, which is one of their famous scholars in Saudi Arabia. Zakah is an annual expenditure for the most benefit of the Muslim community, primarily to help the poor. He says that it meets the Nisab. It's above the poverty line. This is a different way of looking at it. Because then some people might think, well, he has excesses more than he's supposed to have. And that's not true. Also, in the use in the in the, the translation, he mentions the word supplication and prayer, and he's referring to salah and dua. So, just so we can understand the difference between the two, because a new Muslim would not know the difference between supplication and prayer, because you know to them it's the same thing in the English language. But we know that he's referring to dua as supplication. And prayer as salah. Supergatory, he's talking about the Sunni salah. Okay? Again, there's the use of these big words has no benefit. Shake, your voice is cutting in and out for me. Anyone else? Anything that? No, no. Go ahead. Yes. I can't hear him. I couldn't hear him at all. And at one point, it, his voice sped up. It was weird. Shake, are you back? Is your audio normal again? I do not. I did not hear you. But we just we just had some issues hearing your audio for a second. But it, it seems like you're back now. Yes. No, your voice is still cutting in and out for me. Just okay, nobody the whole time I was talking. Shake, no, we, we can couldn't hear you. hear you. Now we hear you. Yeah. Okay. Well, I was just saying that there are terms that he used. Can you hear? Me? Okay, if you guys can hear me now, I was saying there are terms that he used that might be 
that I think need more clarification. For example, he used the word uh, superregulatory, and we're just saying this refers to the sunan, the sunan acts. He mentioned supplication and prayer, and I want to make clear that this is dua and salah. That to a normal American, they may not know the difference between uh, what do you call it, supplication and prayer, because they're both to an American person just prayer. So we want to clarify the difference between the the salah and the dua, what dua is. And I was just reiterating the point that we do not need to to use uh, difficult terms in order to explain these, and we should seek to use simple, as simple as possible terms. Okay, does everybody, did everybody hear me this time? Yes, Sheikh. No. no. Okay, alhamdulillah, barakallah fikum. So now we are in the chapter, I mean, page nine, I believe it is. I'm not too sure of the page. It was 26 here, and we're in trade transactions. The beginning, it's, it's uh, chapter one. And we'll be beginning in, in this book in the next few days. I do not want to wait a normal number of days. I think that we should uh, go through this chapter every few days because Ramadan is coming up and we don't want to have this chapter on this, this, this whole section because it's like 300 pages. And I think you all want to be present for the reading. So if you all are willing, we can agree to meet again on a Tuesday night and do another reading. What is your opinion? Yes, I waiting love to... that idea. Okay. Well, then, if that's what the time? case, then... I, um, same I'm time, same time. 12 hours. Hey, okay. I'll, I won't be present, probably. No, but we will take job, it. And it, I'm it will be, be working re- for Kaffir, so. So, but we also will be taping it. So if you're not able Shall to I? do it, we can tape it and have it posted in, okay. in, in the group. And is, is, are these tapes able to be transferred out of this, this uh, area, uh, Tyler Boyd? Are you able to do that? Yes. I will work on that, inshallah. I'll work on that today. I've been putting it off for a long time, but I'm gonna I'm gonna do it today, inshallah. Please, because we want to take this this whole thing and make it available, uh, just like this book here. Like the sheikh said, this book was actually a, an audio that he did, and they transcribed it and made it into a book, and then he edited. It. You know, this I don't think this we'll have to transcribe this, but by having it read out and explained. In an explanation on explanation, we can make that public and people can benefit from it. So if you can make sure that that's capable, we can get this done, inshallah ta'ala. Every three days we can read some more and get this done, inshallah ta'ala. Okay? Yes, inshallah. So are we, re- right. are we reading this entire book or are we reading a section from this book? We are reading, no, we're not reading the entire book. What we are reading is the entire section on business transactions. Okay? But we're not just reading this book. We're reading the entire section on business transactions in this book and the entire section of business transactions in the book, Bedaitul Mujtahid, in Maliki Fiqh as well. And, and the purpose for that is so that we will have covered this section in such a fashion that you are Confident and competent in this section. And this is a section we did not go over yet. And the other sections we have, um, with, with exception of the last uh, section in, in the book. So what our, our objective is, has been always to enable our students to be competent in FIP. And FIP, it doesn't take a long time to do that. What it takes is just a meticulous read under the supervision of a professor. That's all. And so that's what we're doing here. Okay. But we're not dragging this out to another, another six months. We're going to get this done between now and, and Ramadan. Okay. That's our objective, inshallah. So we're increasing our number of classes. We're now doing three classes a week. And if we might, we might do more than that. If not, everyone can attend. 
at least Tyler Boyd and I can come together and make it an audio and we post those audios and then people, you all can listen to them and, and at the same time, submit your questions to be answered right there in, in, the, in the group. In fact, I'm going, actually, we're going to have to transfer this over to a Telegram group. That way we can, we can do this whole reading in a Telegram because I know in a Telegram we can save it better. How about that? Hello? Whatever works best for you, Shay. Hey. Yeah, whatever is good, alhamdulillah. I'm slightly the reason technologically why... challenged, but I'll figure it out. Yeah, but, me and you uh, both. But I'm not, sure, I'm not sure that I can download the audios from Telegram. So if we could at least keep the calls in Skype, then I know that I can, I can transfer it to, to make it public, inshallah. Okay, I, I, I found Telegram to be easier to have the audios. I'll, we'll, do a, we'll do a test and I'll show you what, what I am. Alaikum. Alaikum. Yes, but, but, but can you download the audios here is, is, is the question. No, you can, you can upload, well, I know you said download, but you can upload up to an hour or more of content at a time on, on Telegram. Yeah, but the question though is can you download them though? Yes. Yes, you can. You, you but you, you, you need to use them. the computer software. Software. Sorry, sure. Okay. No, no, no. I, 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 I don't know more than you, Anjumana. You, you're I, the expert here. Because, so I, I just don't think that I'm, I'm not sure that it will work in Telegram. I, 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 I know, I'm sure it will work in Skype. I'm sure of that. But because in Skype we can have a call, we can have a group call. It's good quality. We can, and then we can, we can record it and it will post in the group and I can download it. So if all those things are true for Telegram, it's fine, but I don't know if that's true or not. Uh, especially well, just, the he, saving of the call and the downloading. Those are the two questions I have about Telegram. Saving the well, call and downloading the audio. Yeah, well, that's the thing that I've been doing recently. I think the, I was, you know, Anjumana and them showed me how to do that in Telegram. So I'll show you when, as soon as we get off this phone, I'll show you, inshallah, and you tell me, um, you know, what you understand after that. Let's let's. Okay. Uh, I'm I'm gonna call you right now on the Telegram. Okay. So inshallah. for the least for the least capable member of the group right now, where how would I then get access? Like, what would I do to actually like go listen to it? Okay, we're gonna figure that out in a few minutes, and then I'll let everybody know. Okay. Thank you. All right. Assalamualaikum. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika